I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. People could think they're just innocently giving their dog a treat, um, but if you don't know to look for that on the back of the label, you really could. Xylitol can be very deadly very quickly. That was Dr. Lisa Lippman, New York City's premier house call vet and one of the dog agency's newest clients. Dr. Lisa will discuss life as a house call vet, hidden dangers to look out for to keep your pet safe, and special things to consider as summer approaches. Now let's get back to Dr. Lisa. So I've wanted to work with the dog agency ever since I found out about the dog agency existing. I just love, I mean, it's really the only thing that exists like it in the entire world. And I think, you know, for me, building my platform on Instagram, it's a way to, I'm very passionate about educating people about things that are true and not true and helping them understand how things work. Uh, And also there are a lot of products that I love and really want to endorse. And so I just love sharing all of that stuff. But I, I remember thinking like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll just like email them or, you know, how can this work? And then I had a friend, Mr. Monster Pup who did sign with you guys and I was doing something with him and he said, she said, oh yeah, he's, he's repped by the dog agency. And she was like, oh, do you, do you want me to put you in touch? And I was like, yes, please, that would be amazing. And so, um, she made an intro email with Gina, lovely Gina. And, uh, that's when, um, PetCon was happening. It was like perfect timing. And I went and spoke, you guys had me so graciously on a panel at the human animal bond. And, um, that was just so much fun. Peck, by the way, if you haven't gone to a PetCon, go to a PetCon. Next um, one's in November in New York. <laughs> next one's, wait, what? November in New York. Oh, We're announcing it soon. Oh, yeah. yay. Okay, great. <laughs> and then I basically just tracked you down, Lonnie, and was like, how can we do this together? So <laughs> that was that was pretty much the end of it. All right. Dr. Lisa, what is it like to be a celebrity vet, an at-home vet? How did you get started? Yeah, that's a, a all really good question. So... I was an emergency veterinarian for about a year and a half, and then I did general practice for about a year and a half, and I had a friend who started a house call practice in New York City, and I basically was like, I love this. You know, I get to be with my clients on a one-on-one setting, be in a much more intimate setting, see the animal in its natural habitat, um, stress-free, and really build a relationship with my clients, which I really love. So I was like, you know, please let me join you. So I did. I was with him for about a year, and then about three months ago, I actually started my own practice uh, with a partner, Dr. Lauren Benson. She's also fantastic. So I basically said to her, I'm going to start this practice. Do you want to do this with me? And she was like, yeah. And that was was it. So (laughs) the rest is history. So how has it been having your own practice? How is that different from working with someone, working for someone else? Yeah. So um, I think it's different because, uh, you know, I have to do, I'm my own secretary, I'm my own receptionist, I talk to everybody who calls me, I take the calls, I decide when I can go, I really don't have a set schedule, so I actually will go whenever I'm free, so like, and I'll go up to like 11 p.m. at night sometimes, or, you know, 6 or 7 in the morning if I have to, um, so it's a little bit more autonomous, which is, which is great, and, uh, um, yeah, it's just, you know, being an entrepreneur is something I've always wanted to do. So 
Like you, Lani. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And then how do you go about finding your clients? Uh, that's a really good question. So definitely uh, word of mouth referral is probably my um, biggest way that I obtain clients. Um, your Instagram probably helps. Yeah. Your massive following. <laughs> Instagram definitely helps. Sometimes they see me on TV or do an article and they reach out. So definitely through Instagram, I've gotten a few. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> that's awesome. And you have some celebrity clients. Are you able to talk about I that? I do. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm so close with them. You know, it's a real true relationship. They all have my cell phone number. Um, I always tell them, you know, I will, you know, you've seen my phones, unfortunately, just been in my hand like the whole time. Um, and I, as long as I'm not sleeping, pretty much I'll respond to you or in a current appointment. Um, but so some, let's see, some fun celebrity clients. I have a girl with no job, Claudia Ashray. So she's super fun. She, speaking of influencers, she is the ultimate in the influencing space. Uh, she um, she has over 5 million users, I think, across platforms. So she has several different platforms. My patient, Theo, is pup with no job. So <laughs> he has a ton of users himself. Um, and we wore what? She is a fashion blogger, a very prominent fashion blogger, and has, I think, 1.7 million Instagram followers. Um, Ian Axel from uh, Great Big World. He's... Ian, forgive me, but he sings that song, Say Something, I'm Giving Up On You. No, do we know? No. It's an incredible, incredible song. I'm sure I've botched it. Sorry, Ian, love you. Um, so they have been, they were actually one of my very first house call clients. So um, they're super fantastic. And uh, let's see, some Instagram famous patients. So I just saw Ella Bean the other day. Yeah, that was super one of fun. Our babes. Yeah, super babe. And, um, Catstradamus, so he was the largest cat in New York, and he was sort of a segue into media a lot for me because he is so large, and a lot of people really wanted to know, like, why is he so large? Is he healthy? You know, and so I could really speak to all those points. So we did everything from, like, Harry Connick Jr. to TMZ, good housekeeping. That was super fun. So, yeah, so it's not just limited to famous house call clients, but also um, but pets, too. So, no. <laughs> so... Yeah, those are, I think, some of my most regular, fun, famous clients. Yeah, how did you end up having famous clients? How did that come about? Yeah, well, that, that's another good question. So some of them I just reached out to because we know, right, what a great way social media has on the impact of building a business. Um, and I know how much they love their pets. So, you know, I love anybody who loves their pets. That's Those are people I want to be around. So I reached out to them in some circumstances. Um, so I reached out to Danielle Bernstein of We Wore What?, and she and Claudia Ashray, girl with no job, are best friends. And so that was an easy. Um, so it was, you know, it's such an honor when they refer me and they're really happy. And I, you know, I really try hard. So um, and then Ian, um, I had seen his wife in a clinic and we just became, you know, really close. She always wanted to see me when she came in. And so when I left, she found she found me where I was. And, you know, we just continued the relationship from there. Yeah. So I all different all different platforms. Social media definitely doesn't doesn't hurt. So Yeah. Are all of your clients based in Manhattan? Or Manhattan and Brooklyn, I guess. Yeah, Manhattan, Manhattan, and, Manhattan and Brooklyn mostly. If they travel, I have flown with clients. So I've flown private in very specific circumstances. Now, I need to have a license to actually practice in that state. So I am licensed right now in New York, New Jersey, California. Um, 
and almost in Connecticut. But uh, but if I'm going to actually, so it's funny because I think it's like, is it maritime laws? You can fly. I can practice medicine in the air. But once I touch down, I have to actually be sure that there's another veterinarian there if I don't have my license when I'm flying with a patient to take over their care. So is that part of the reason you flew private was to take care of the pet in the air? Or was yeah. that just... Yeah, to take care. It was a, actually a pretty critical patient that they had somewhat stabilized in the hospital and um, needed a very specialized heart surgery that only Cornell um, Veterinary Medical Center could do. And so I flew with the patient. Actually, it was me and two nurses and um, gave this pet very specialized individual care until we got him there safely. And um, he's doing amazing. So That's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's like one of the best stories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So are you essentially on call 24-7 or how does that, how do you set yeah. your hours? Because you don't have like a location on people when yeah. you're open. Yeah, that's a really good question. So right now, um, you know, like I said, I can make my own schedule is the, be- is the benefit. So I really try to work around my client's schedule. I don't have set hours. So I will go whenever, like I said, at night, on weekends. I mean, to me in New York City, every night is a <laughs> Saturday, you know, it doesn't really matter when you go out. But uh, right now, it's really just based around my client's needs. Uh, and what's the most common thing you get called for? Hmm. Uh, Is there a most common thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, we do definitely a lot of wellness care. So appointment-based vaccines, checkups, things like that. So any kind of like stomach upset is definitely really common, especially in puppies, you know, who eat things that they shouldn't or lick something off the ground. So tummy upsets are probably one of the most common things that I see. As far as uh, being in someone's home versus being at a facility, are there certain things you can't do. How does that work with what you're able to? Yeah, that's another really good question. So I always say, I I think we can, it's a very like medieval art we're making, you know, very advanced now. That's, that's really cool. You know, doing house call practice. So I think we can do probably about 80% of what we can do in an actual clinic on an at-home basis. So the things I can't do would be, um, advanced imaging. Actually, they're, there may be a way to do it in the home. I'm, I'm finding this out now. There are some people who do it. Um, but for things like right now, for things like x-rays, abdominal ultrasound, obviously CAT scan or any diagnostic, advanced diagnostic imaging, I would refer to a specialty center. Um, a lot of hospitals I have relationships with where I can send a client for just like outpatient x-ray and they don't have to pay for another exam or, you know, something like that. Um, and of course, surgery. So I'm not doing any surgery in people's <laughs> homes right now. So I've heard stories, you know, people have done it, but. <laughs> so uh, next category, yeah. keeping pets safe and healthy. Vaccinations. Yeah. Uh, do you recommend that pets get all of them? Do you recommend Bordetella even if pets aren't going to boarding places? How do you kind of decide what yeah. pets should get? It's really individual based on the pet. I always tell people like when they're getting a new puppy, there's basically two vaccines that every every dog needs, every dog person needs. Um, distemper parvo, which is the combination of all those really nasty viruses that can be lethal that we want to protect them against. That's a no-brainer for sure. Um, and then rabies because it, it's the law. Now... For my older, elderly, chronically sick patients, uh, you know, we're finding that the rabies vaccine actually lasts a lot longer than we just vaccinate for, which is typically about every three years. So for those patients, I probably would not do it if they were sick or old or and had been vaccinated all of their lives. Uh, Now it's the law, so it gets tricky there. But 
uh, as they get older, we start to tailor it to, are they likely protected? Are they going outside? And that's the same thing with like Bordetella or kennel cough is, are they interacting with other dogs? Uh, It's a very safe vaccine. Usually I give that orally or intranasally and it's, it's just localized immunity. So they, I really see very few reactions to it as opposed to a systemic vaccine, which you can have a severe or life-threatening allergic reaction to. Um, And then there's like leptospirosis, Lyme. Those are all what we call lifestyle vaccines. So it's definitely based on the dog's lifestyle. And I, I very, I very much tailor it to their, to their lifestyle. So. And by lifestyle, do you mean like living in the city versus the country or? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, lepto, leptospirosis is carried through the urine of mammals and lives in standing water. So if your dog has a penchant for, uh, rivers, lakes, streams, puddles in New York City. Of course, there's tons of rats, so it gets a little complicated, right? And I never, I'm always happy to tell my patients what I do for my dog. I think that that's like the best thing I could do, you know, and tell them why. So, but what's right for my dog may not be right for your dog, and we always talk about it, you know. So, uh, for example, my dog's not vaccinated for lepto, but we don't really go near, we don't, she hates water. She <laughs> avoids it like the plague. And, um, you know, she's, she's a little bit of protecting. Yeah, she's <laughs> right. She's she's very smart. Um, and she uh, she's a little bit of a vaccine reactor. So for me, and it, you know, lepto doesn't protect against all different types of lepto, but it can be deadly. So it's something to really to think about. It's a hard one. That was a really hard one for me to personally decide for my own dog. But I made the decision and, you know, you have to live with it. And that's kind of, you know, medicine is very much an art. It's not always an exact science. So do you do the Bordetella? Uh, for her, actually, I don't. So she has, when she goes to, when we go away, I have a friend who watches her, uh, like upstate in the country. Uh, she's also a very healthy middle-aged dog where I don't feel like she's a breed that's at risk for, um, things like pneumonia or, you know, for like brachycephalic breeds or breeds with short nose, our beloved Frenchies. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely those are dogs that I would definitely do the Bordetella for um, because something as simple as kennel cough can very easily turn into pneumonia or something way more serious. So, um, and again, like I said, it's usually, it's a very safe vaccine. Also, sometimes I say the shoemaker's kids go without shoes. So <laughs> sometimes it's a do as I say, not a do as I do. And then it's sharing water bowls. So at dog parks, there's always water bowls yeah. out. What are your thoughts on that? Should pets, should owners not let their pets drink out of bowls that yeah. are outside of restaurants and in parks? That's a hard one because sometimes it's really hard to just stop a dog from like walking up and drinking a water from a water bowl if it's there. I think mostly we have to let dogs like live their life. Um, but if your pet is healthy and immune competent and up to date on its vaccines and its deworming protocols and things like that, then mostly they should likely be fine. Um, however, you know, we don't live in a bubble, so everything we do is a small risk. So I guess it just depends on how paranoid you are as a pet parent. <laughs> <laughs> and dog parks in general, do you, I, I feel like I keep reading on Instagram, dogs yeah. picking up bugs from being at the dog park. Sure. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, dog parks are hard because there is no regulation on, for the most part, I mean, I guess there are a few private parks, but these aren't dogs who have, um, are like being interviewed, right? Like at a doggy daycare to see, oh, do they get along with other dogs? You really never know what you're going to get. So I think if you're a dog owner who takes their dog to the park, probably standing outside the park for a little while, watching the dog, seeing how they play, 
knowing your dog really well. Um, and then, of course, infectious disease is always a possibility. So making sure your dog is healthy and, and up to date on everything is going to be really important. At home, are there pet proofing tactics, especially for puppies, but grown dogs as well to kind of keep them safe? Yeah. So I always say to people like, know your, you know, when they get a new puppy, know your list of toxic foods or toxic substances. Uh, so like the, the big ones would be, uh, grapes, raisins, onions, garlic, chocolate, the darker the chocolate, the worse it is. It typically takes a lot of chocolate. Actually, people are surprised, but, um, and a lot of onions and garlic too. Those are not really the worst. Um, xylitol is definitely on that list. So it's like gum. Yeah. So xylitol is a sugar substitute that's used in anything from gum to, um, toothpaste, baking goods, because it, it's a no-calorie sweetener. So uh, even Baking in like, goods is interesting. I hear about people yeah. being worried about sugar-free gum, but I, I feel like people don't think the baked goods. peanut butter. So a lot of people feed their dogs peanut butter really? as a treat, right? Peanut and butter so if has you xylitol? Di- well, there are certain like diet peanut butters with xylitol wow. in it. So that's really scary because people could think they're just innocently giving their dog a treat. Um, but if you don't know to look for that on the back of the label, you really could. Xylitol can be very deadly very quickly. So usually within an hour, it causes, uh, dogs don't recognize it as fake sugar. And so they release like a massive release of insulin, which causes your blood sugar to drop. And so if your brain can't have glucose, it doesn't really function very well. And you can have like seizures, coma, uh, tremors, death, you know, it can be really bad. And then up to three days later, it can cause liver failure. So it's, it's definitely one to watch out for. And then I think the other best step is um, have I, I have poison control, you know, on like speed dial on my phone. <laughs> they're staffed with board certified veterinary toxicologists 24-7 and they're absolutely amazing. And they can calculate things, you know, down to like the like the micro whatever your dog ate and tell you how likely is it to be toxic? What should happen from here? Do you need to go into the clinic? Do you not? Um, and if your dog is registered with Home Again, microchipped and registered with the registration system called Home Again, then it's actually free. So otherwise, it's like a $65 charge, I think, because there's a, it's one of the best tips I know, I think, especially for new pet parents. So why not just call if it's free? You know, it's it's, it's a great resource to have. So And yeah, if, so. The, if your dog happens to eat one of these things yeah. uh, while you're getting them to the vet, do you, is there anything else that the human can do to help? Like, should they try to get the pet to throw up? Or is there anything that kind of helps with that waiting time between them ingesting it and getting to the yeah. vet? There's, there's not all that much to do. I do also, I teach a pet first aid and CPR course, and we go through the different dosages for things like hydrogen peroxide. You can always have a bottle of fresh, it must be fresh, hydrogen peroxide, 3% hydrogen peroxide that can be used to make an and animal fresh, vomit. And just not expired, That's right. right. So yeah, not like expired. Yeah. <laughs> so you should be able to like pour it down the sink okay. and it should sizzle or bubble and that will tell you if it's fresh or not. But yeah, exactly. Don't, not expired. So keep a, um, you know, most things though, some things just absorb so quickly. It's not even worth making pets vomit. Some things are also caustic. So if your pet got into something like bleach or something really sharp and we don't want to bring it up because that could be dangerous, which is why it's just really important to to talk to a veterinarian to decide, you know, is are, is this something we're going to make them vomit with? And poison can control can do that for you really, really quickly at home, especially if you live in an area where you don't have like immediate access to a veterinarian. So, um, 
And yeah. are these things that are poisonous for dogs also poisonous for cats? Or are there separate things to look out for if you're a cat owner? Most of the things, I would say it's probably a pretty good and easy rule of thumb to go by that most of the things that are toxic to dogs are also toxic to cats. We see it much less because cats don't typically eat things like chocolate. They just don't have like the taste buds for it. So we really don't don't see it all that much. And I don't believe that xylitol is actually as toxic to cats either. So there are some mild differences, but I would say overall, if it's toxic to a dog, just probably a good rule of thumb is that it's toxic to a cat. Yeah. Although I'd say the one big thing there, the difference there is lilies. Um, lilies are very toxic to cats. They can cause kidney failure. Even if a cat just like walks through and gets some pollen on their feet and licks it off, oh, they don't wow. actually have to even ingest the plant. Um, but dogs, they're not toxic to so. Are there plants that are toxic to dogs? Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many plants out there. I think it just depends on like <laughs> what part of the world you live in. Funny poinsettias get a really bad rap, like especially around Christmas. They usually just cause like mild vomiting and diarrhea, but they don't, they're not like toxic in the sense that I think it's very life threatening. Um, I'll have to, being in New York City, I, I don't, just don't see all that many plant ingest, toxic plant ingestions, certain mushrooms. So if you go away, you never really want to let your dog eat a mushroom because it's really hard to identify what mushrooms are toxic and what mushrooms aren't. Um, but I would say definitely stay, some of them are very, very toxic. So stay away from that. And essential oils for cats are an issue, Yeah, right? or dogs. Essential oils. So... Uh, essential oils are tough because there's so many out there and we may not know what's in them. There's a really great article by ASPCA Poison Control. If you just type in ASPCA and uh, essential plant oils. Um, but essentially, essentially, they say um, it's just really it's really hard to know. So if you want to be really, really safe, you can just avoid them. You know, a lot of people just use them around their house and don't typically have a problem. But it really depends on like what concentration and is the animal actually ingesting it. That would be really bad. And then there are some toys and products that are in the market for dogs that can be harmful, like rawhide and ropes. Yeah, so they can definitely be harmful if the dog ingests those. They could cause what's called like an obstruction or a foreign body where the rope gets stuck actually in the intestines and then that requires emergency surgery, very expensive emergency <laughs> surgery. So this is where I'm a big proponent of pet insurance. Um, so, uh, you know, if your dog does something silly, it's uh, you know, and you get it as a puppy, that may be something that they would reimburse you for. Um, but yeah, so those, those toys can, I think with any of those toys, just monitoring your pet and, and knowing your pet, you know, are they the type to ingest those things? Then definitely they have to be taken away from them. And speaking uh, of pet insurance, what do you recommend people look for when picking the right pet insurance? I think, uh, you know, a good recommendation, word of mouth, do you know somebody who's used this pet insurance and is happy with them? Also, you can call them yourself and talk to them about things like pre-existing conditions, what is the breed of your dog, um, you know, how much do you want to pay a month, what exactly are you getting for that? It's definitely really important for people to understand that pet insurance does not work like human medical insurance. Uh, you know, typically people pay the vet and then the pet insurance will reimburse you. So that's another um, really good thing to know. Also, you can typically use any vet and any vet should be able to sign this piece of paper for you and um, say, you know, what the diagnosis and the illness was. And then it's up to the pet insurance to reimburse you or not. So it's a few differences there, but uh, I would I would start with that. Yeah. 
And so I heard that the dog flu is going around. Can you yeah. touch on that a little bit? The dog flu. Yeah, so it's definitely, it happened I think a couple of years ago too, but right now in Brooklyn there has been an outbreak of the dog flu or also known as canine influenza. It's really pretty amazing. I'm not a human doctor, but it's amazing how similar it seems to, you know, the people flu. So it can be really, um, it can be, it's highly contagious. So it's contagious if dogs are either within 25 feet of one another or sharing water bowls. It also can travel on um, fomites or things like leashes or collars or water bowls like we had mentioned before. So definitely, um, you know, if you have a dog walker, you want to make sure that nobody is sick because if your dog walker comes with like a leash or a collar, it's just on their vest, they can transmit it. Uh, dogs typically don't show signs for about three to five days. So then they can be contagious in that time and they can be contagious for up to 30 days after contracting the dog flu. So it's going to be really important if you think your dog has the dog flu. So signs of the dog flu would be, um, uh, coughing, nasal discharge, eye discharge, sneezing, a temperature, or like if they're just generally lethargic, don't want to eat, but also have a cough and have those other symptoms, then you'll definitely want to let your vet know because it's really important for that pet to be quarantined um, so that we don't expose any other pets and then they can be examined and the room can be totally disinfected. Now, the good thing is flu is really um, easily, it's, it's disinfected with the most common disinfectants. Uh, so that's, that's good news, but just because of the contagiousness of it, and also the potential for the severity. So not all dogs, about about 10% of dogs that contract it, it will be about fatal for. About 80% of dogs who are exposed to it will actually contract it. Um, and when, if, when and if they do, it's, it's usually resolved within about two to three weeks with the appropriate care. So I think that touches on all the most important. So people should, you know, still live your dog life, but be aware of where <laughs> you are and, you know, has your what are the requirements for your like daycare or boarding facility and stuff like that so. do, you rec- uh, do you recommend vaccinations for dog flu I, again it's based on the lifestyle so it's definitely not something that I ever did on like a um in New York City on a regular basis um unless I have a patient who is like going to agility trials or doing a ton of traveling and getting really exposed to dogs from all over the place Uh, but now for sure in Brooklyn, um, you know, daycares are requiring it and a lot of veterinarians are requiring it. You also want to make sure if you are in Brooklyn that you ask for a bivalent vaccine. So it covers different, the two different strains of the dog flu that are, that are out now. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely something to talk to your vet about. Are there diseases that pets and humans can spread to each other? Yeah. So that's a whole movement now. It's called the One Health Movement, where human doctors and veterinarians are working together to combat certain uh, what we call zoonotic diseases or diseases that are transmissible from animals to people. Uh, certain, any, any kind of intestinal parasite, you know, I've not seen it happen, but theoretically things like Giardia, um, although Giardia is pretty species specific, which means they tend to like their own species, but they can every once in a while jump ship. You never know. (laughs) Just like one of the flu strains actually has been found in cats. So, um, things, things can jump species. Human flu or dog flu to cats? The dog, it was, I, I think it was originally found in a sub population of shelter cats and now it's 
jumped to dogs. So, you know, things like this, you know, this is where we talk about like avian influenza, right? Or things that are get like really scary, like contagion type things. Um, <laughs> so anything can theoretically jump ship, but... Um, it's a scary podcast episode. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, leptospirosis is certainly one. And then there's just a lot of diseases that we share too. Leptospirosis, Lyme, um, yeah, different intestinal parasites. There's yeah, so there's definitely things you want to use good hygiene when you have a pet, and another reason to keep your pet healthy. <laughs> yeah, uh, are there any medical advancements that you're excited about that are going on right now in the pet health hmm. space? It's definitely happening all the time. So I think it depends on you know they're constantly doing things like cancer research, or and again relating to how that you know how it works in humans, or. Um, there is, like in dogs right now, we don't really have heart valve replacement surgery. So there's definitely, there's like one or two doctors that do it in the world. So that's definitely an exciting um, prospect. Uh, yeah, new things are going on all the time at the universities. So it just depends on like what you want to dive into. So as we're getting into summer, yeah. uh, some pets are more sensitive to heat. What do you recommend that owners do to keep their pets safe in the summer? Yeah, so I think a general rule of thumb is that if it's too hot for you, it's typically too hot for them. Dogs don't sweat or only sweat a little bit through the paw, through the, I can't say it, through the paws, through the pads of their paws. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so they can get overheated really quickly and heat stroke is a really, really one of the most awful emergencies that I've seen. Um, and especially, of course, we know our brachiocephalic friends are really prone to this. So Frenchies, bulldogs, um, any dog with a flat face that just doesn't convect uh, heat as well. Um, also thinking about the like pavements, if it, people really don't think that like paw pads are pretty tough, but they can definitely get burned. So uh, you want to make sure that you're not walking on like a prolonged hot pavement for a really long time. Also, the sun, they do get sunburnt. They can get sunburnt. Uh, there is one FDA-approved sunscreen that I'm aware of right now. It's called EpiPet, I believe. Um, and so you can safely use that on dogs, not on cats. Uh, but it's really important to know that they definitely can get sunburned as well. Um, Are there other cooling products that you recommend? Oh, yeah. So there's things like cooling mats, cooling, um, you know, like a mat that goes around the neck like cooling <laughs> collars and that's the word uh, cooling collars uh you know making sure you have there's lots of cool water bottles to help dogs be able to drink out of for you for them um uh you can get your dog a kiddie pool you can do any of that so yeah those are all those are all helpful as well and if you're worried your dog is overheating what do you recommend are there at-home things you can do to cool them down? Should they go to the yeah. vet? Yeah, so if you're really worried, it's definitely always a good idea to just get them into the vet. Like I said, this is one of the worst emergencies that I've ever seen, and so it's not worth messing around with. You can take your dog's temperature. So a normal dog temperature is 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 101.5 to 102.5. So they typically run hotter than us anyway. So just like feeling your dog and being like, oh, it's hot is not really a good indicator because they'll always be hotter. <laughs> um, so taking your dog's temperature and you can do that with just like some Vaseline and you can do it rectally. Um, or um, you can cool them down with cool water. You don't want to use like frozen water or ice, but cool water, cool to lukewarm water. You can put them in a bath. It's really important that the water be on their skin. So if you have like a very hairy like St. Bernard or Newfoundland or something, you want to make sure the water is really getting on all their hairless parts, their belly, inside their ears, and then just 
you know, sometimes we have to shave them down to make sure the water actually gets on their skin where it's really not doing very much. So, yeah, so those are all things you can do, definitely. And with 4th of July coming up, what special precautions should people take to make sure their pets don't get scared, don't run away? So I would say if you, you know, know your pet um, and doing things like keeping a collar on your pet, uh, knowing where it is at all times. If it is a nervous pet, there are really great products that veterinarians use. There's actually one new FDA-approved product for fireworks. Um, It's called Cilio. Uh, it's a calming product, but there are also lots of supplements like L- melatonin, L-theanine, um, uh, and, you know, there's like the thunder shirt, playing music so that your pet doesn't, uh, doesn't, so, you know, drowns out the fireworks a little bit. So really knowing your pet, keeping them in a safe place, keeping identification on them, if God forbid they were to get loose, uh, yeah. Why do they run away when they hear fireworks? What is I, the connection It's really there? like a flight or fight response, I think. It's just so much adrenaline. They're probably trying to run away from where they are. That's scary, you know, to them, like wherever they are right now is a really, really scary place. So they're probably trying to run further, but that's really not, probably doesn't work very well, right? Because the fireworks probably like span. So <laughs> I've seen dogs that have tried, uh, that will get out on 4th of July and like have literally run off their paw pads because they've run uh. so much and so far. Yeah, so. So hopefully that's the worst of it, right? But, you know, if you get a pet that gets out, just thank God, hopefully you get it back. So And so I've seen a lot of CBD products on the yeah. market lately. Can you talk on that a little yeah. bit? So, um, so I will say that it is illegal for me to recommend or prescribe a CBD product. So according to the DEA, which is the Drug Enforcement Agency, they still consider it a Schedule II drug, which means that it has very little medicinal value and high high potential for abuse. Um, and those laws are currently being challenged and, and changed. And there's no real good, there's no like very good studies on the use of things like CBD oil right now in, in veterinary medicine. And so I think, I think Colorado State actually is trying to, ch- to change that. Um, but it's definitely the wave of the future. And there's a ton of like anecdotal evidence for um, CBD oil being used for things like seizures, anxiety, um, you know, things, nausea, things like that. And I do have a few patients on CBD products. Um, it's just I can never tell them, you know, I can never tell them to go on it or, you know, what the effects are with other drugs because it's just not studied right now. So, but anecdotally, definitely the wave of the future. So I think we, we see the need for more research there. Yeah. And then avocados. So I, I feel like oh, avocados yeah. shows up on I didn't put that on my like, list. Yeah. yeah. Of like a poisonous uh, substance, but then there's avocado-based pet foods that are popping up. So what's the deal yeah. with avocado and pets? Yeah. I think avocado, and it wasn't on my list, right? I gave you a list. So um, I think avocado gets a bad rap because it can be really toxic to birds or other species. Uh, actually, a little bit of the flesh of the avocado is not toxic at all to pets and probably has some nutritional value. It is oily and fatty. So like a lot of things, if your dog doesn't tolerate it, they certainly could get like diarrhea or vomiting, um, but they're not innately toxic. I would not let your pet eat the pit because that could cause an obstruction or a foreign body uh, or probably the skin um, because that does have some 
a mild toxic substance in it as well, I believe. But the flesh of the avocado, just like anything else in moderation, should probably be just fine. Uh, So you have your own podcast. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I do. So it's called Pets and Punchlines. The premise is comics with pets talking to vets. So um, my boyfriend, Richie Redding, is a professional stand-up comic. He's toured with Cat Williams for the last three years. He's at all the big clubs in the city every night. Uh, And so he has a lot of amazing comedian friends. We've had everybody on from like all of Last Comic Standing to the executive producer of The Daily Show, uh, also a client. Um, And a lot of them are are my clients too. Um, But we, you know, the conversations always turned hilarious. Like they would call me for veterinary advice and then it would just turn hilarious. So we said, let's make a podcast out of this, like the best, dumbest idea yet. So, um, (laughs) so, uh, you know, they come on, they talk about their pets, they ask me questions. Sometimes I do an informative, an informative segment, which we've lovingly called the informative segment. So it's like five minutes on, you know, again, the hidden dangers in your kitchen or pet insurance or how a pet DNA panel works, you know, things, anything, anything like that. Um, and yeah, so it's super funny and informative and that's the gist of it. So, yeah, I think if there's any, if there's not anything else, I do give a ton of good tips on my, I try to be really informative on my Instagram. So um, if you guys have any questions, definitely feel free to reach out to me and I will do my best to answer them for you. And chances are, if you have that question, then somebody else does too. So yeah. That was Dr. Lisa Littman, New York City's premier house call vet and one of the dog agency's newest clients. For more Dr. Lisa, follow her at Dr. Lisa Littman on Instagram. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon. Talk soon.